and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm David Bax. Crickets. Just me. Uh, no one else is here. It's just me to do, uh, because I'm the only one from Battleship Pretension who uh, made the trek to Park City this year for the annual Sundance Film Festival. Um, the, the second one since the pandemic, uh, but this one really felt like Sundance was was back in a lot of ways in terms of um the 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 turnout and the lines and and stuff like that although as mentioned on our on last week's episode uh it is a bummer that they're down uh a number of screening rooms from before but um <clears throat> that the, that's the reason i'm here today tonight when i'm recording this uh is is to discuss the sundance <laughs> film festival uh but before i do that i want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they look great they sound great i use them each and every day of my life today i was using them to listen to an album called the garden by a band called hanging garden and uh sounded great as usual it's metal music uh but i don't have much time uh i've got to get to telling you about all the movies that i saw at sundance so uh just go to tweakedaudio.com they're available for a low low price at tweakedaudio.com these earbuds but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, we're back. I'm back. And we are, I am, ready to jump in. Let's get into it, shall we? Let's talk about Sundance 2024. Sundance Film Festival 2024. Um, I, I mentioned the festival being back in many ways in terms of like how many people were there. Because I guess people, you know, the first year back last year, people were a little bit cautious. But uh yeah, it felt like there, there were a lot of people, but also it was back in the sense that uh saw a lot of good, really good movies, um, something that didn't happen last year. Last year I saw Past Lives and I saw Other People's Children, and then there's kind of big, a big drop-off, as I recall, until the next sort of level of, of quality. But this the, this year I saw, I don't want, I mean, it's still Sunday, so I saw some bad movies, but I mostly saw really good stuff. Um, and many things that were good in a surprising way a distinctive way um and that's going to be true of my first movie they uh yeah i got three movies in on the day that i got there it had to do with an early flight but also um press screenings on the first day starting earlier than they usually do so that that was great for me so i went straight once i got my badge um i went straight to see a movie by uh, director Chris Nash, and the movie is called In a Violent Nature. Um, this is the first of two movies that I will be talking about in this episode that are very traditional, recognizable horror genres, but that uh, uh, adopt their own point of view quite literally by by focusing more on the... Uh, um, the monster, if you will, than the 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 victims or or, or whatever. I mean, this is um, it's not uncommon in in a violent nature as a slasher movie. Um, it's got a very traditional um, sort of setup. When you zoom out to the thirty thousand foot level, it's got a very traditional setup of like a bunch of kids are staying the weekend at a cabin in the woods and uh, a. They accidentally awaken a uh, sort of semi-supernatural uh, slasher, and he uh, kills his way through uh, most, if not all, of them. And I kind of give anything uh, away there. Um, but uh, 
what Chris Nash has, has pulled off here is is pretty terrific in terms of um, tone. Uh, the movie is there's a self awareness like a lot of the dialogue that you hear among the 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 young folks the uh, cannon fodder if you will um, is almost uh, it, it feels almost like uh, what's what I'm looking for um, like a platonic ideal a sort of like um, replacement like <laughs> I, I've been using replacement level too much uh, just sort of man I am drawing a blank on the word that I'm looking for uh, stereotypical archetypal archetypal like teen or young adult like uh, dialogue um, because the movie is aware of of, of and knows that you're aware of what this type of movie is and so there's like I said there's a sense of humor to the movie um, the the kills to use uh, slasher fan terminology the the kills uh, some of which some of them in particular are very very darkly funny uh, I mean there's some really gross and um, uh, inventive shit that happens but at the same time the movie is also taking on the point of view of this uh like i said semi supernatural uh, uh entity who is driven to kill and we don't fully understand his motives or why he kills in the way that he does but also we the movie kind of by often being behind him it's adopting his point of view in a way but not truly his point of view because it's behind him it rarely shows you his face uh the movie is also putting you or, or or making you wonder does he even know why he's doing this or do they did these did these young people by by you know disturbing the forces blah, blah blah uh did they set him on a path that he just has to get to the end of but he doesn't know why is is, is it all just instinct at, at this point these these killings and so the the movie is weirdly existential and um, pensive and pondering and sad, but also, like I said, funny and just sometimes just shockingly gory and violent. Um, yeah, so a really strong start um, uh, being, you know, not not one we're likely to see. It's not going to be this year's Coda. I don't think it's going to end up winning Best Picture, uh, but that's not because it's not... It's, it's, I think it's a better movie than Coda, but uh, it's just not that kind of movie. Um, uh, I, I, I I saw it at a press and industry screening, like I said. I kind of wish that I had been able to see it with the midnight crowd, because I think I'll bet they ate it up when it, when it played at midnight, and that would have been so much fun. Uh, but I almost exclusively did press and industry screenings this year. And I'm not, I almost sound like I'm complaining, but um, it's because... Sundance has sort of changed their press tiers and I've um uh I don't get I get very few um public screening tickets allotted to me anymore but I'm not again I'm not complaining I'm just a podcaster I'm happy to let me do it I'm happy I have a place that I'm able able to get up there and do this and I still see pretty much everything I want to see through the press and industry screenings um in fact I kind of sometimes I think i prefer the press and industry screenings because there's no big intro and there's no q a afterwards and like the time the time it's supposed to start and end is the time it tar- starts and ends and it's a lot easier to stick to your schedule with the pni screening so uh you're not really complaining at all to be honest but uh moving on to the next movie a very different uh movie called evil in by director benjamin Ree. it's a, a a documentary um uh but there's also a lot of newly created footage in the documentary. Um, but you'll understand why um, when I explain. Uh, the The documentary is about a Norwegian family whose son had a degenerative disease and passed away um, in his mid-20s. By the time he died, he had been for a long time... Um, bound to a chair and only able to move his fingers and even by the end 
was losing some of that mobility. Um, and, um, uh, after he kept a blog they knew he kept a blog, but they didn't like know much about it. And he played world of Warcraft. That's what he did with most of his time because he couldn't do much else. Um, and after he passed away, um, the family posted a short post on the blog saying what happened. And suddenly this just the, the responses poured in of people. It turns out he had for the past 10 plus years in world of Warcraft had friendships and relationships and had this full life, uh, within this game in a way that he, um, uh, often couldn't in, in, you know, IRL because of, because of his, um, physical limitations. Uh, and the, so Benjamin re here and the filmmakers, got they were they were granted access to the the sort of logs of the activities and conversations that had happened in World of Warcraft and so they used World of Warcraft and voice actors to recreate the story of this young man's life uh through the character that he created in World of Warcraft named Ebelin um the movie is a tearjerker from i mean I mean, from just a few minutes in, it's not like a, oh, you'll cry at the end. It's, oof, I, I mean, I was crying so much during during this movie. Uh, it, um, on a more intellectual level, it is, um, in, inter- it feels like an interesting remnant of uh, a more utopian vision of what the internet could be than I think we've come to live with in the age of, um, of, uh, tech billionaires and, uh, highly gamed social media that, uh, social media feeds that, that, uh, don't represent what people want to see or want others to see. And the internet has sort of been turned against us and, um, limited us, uh, and, the idea that this is still out there, that there are still places that feel like the sort of like mid two thousands, uh, internet of people making, um, connections. Uh, it, I mean, it, it feels like, uh, just a, a a last outpost of a a light that's still blinking on an unattended Island (laughs) in some way. Um, but it's a really fantastic movie. Uh, my third one of the first day directed by Daniel Heisel or mm, Hosel Heisel uh, and Julia Neiman it's called Vini Vidi Vici which um, I didn't take Latin but I know what that means Uh, I came I saw I conquered Uh, and it's a very dark comedy about a very wealthy German family um, and the patriarch of the family um, is also a serial killer and that's not uh, a secret it happens in the first scene before we know anything else about him we know that he uh, kills people um, and it the 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 satire of the movie is that it's pretty much an open secret that everyone knows but the guy is just so powerful that no one bothers to stop him um and uh it gets some like dark laughs out of some of the 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 murders or other like uh um outlandish things that happen but it's also uh it's very thin and it's very obvious as satire it kind of says what it has to say pretty early on and even at only 86 minutes it kind of feels like it wears out its welcome pretty pretty early on um so that was uh my first bummer of 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 the fest uh the next day uh, i went to uh an actual public screening to see uh theta Hale. (laughs) Theta Hamill's stress positions. Um, 
and uh, this is a, a terrifically bilious farce of a movie uh, that takes place it starts in March of 2020 right at the very beginning of uh, of COVID and of lockdowns and um, John Early plays a recently divorced or I guess still going through a divorce um, man who is living in um, a property owned by his soon-to-be ex-husband that is not his most well-tended-to property and John Early's character is also caring for his nephew his 19 year old male model nephew who has recently broken his leg and is uh bed bound um and all of this is happening right at the beginning of 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 covid um and the movie does jump into the summer of 2020 and it's really it's really a fascinating like reminder of how in it weirdly between march and like june or july of 2020 how on the one hand, how little had changed because we were still all, you know, homebound. On the other hand, how much had changed because of how much we had gotten used to already. Um, uh, and also how people were starting to really fray um, and uh, we're, we're starting to want to get out despite the, the risks and want to get together despite the risks. And trying to navigate um, different expectations of uh, precautions um, or even belief systems among different friends, uh, the the movie is hilarious. It is also one of the funnier things that happened at the screening was that Theta Hamill, in introducing the film, felt the need based on the reception of the movie because it was not the premiere, but both. But felt the need based on the reception to the movie the night prior to sort of gently remind us that you don't have to like every character in a movie for it to be uh, or even any character in a movie for it to be a good movie you don't necessarily need to like characters um and uh yeah that's definitely the case here is everyone's kind of a different uh level of self-involved little shit in this in this movie uh or sometimes just you know agent of anarchic sadism uh it, 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 they run the gamut but um the movie's hilarious i keep saying that but it also it feels like a real sort of like it's thumbing its nose at that the thing you heard very much at that time you know early covid of the we're all in this together um in retrospect, the movie is looking back and seeing a group of people who are absolutely all in it for themselves. Um, they only care about themselves. Um, their their morality ends at the end of their own noses. Uh, it, um, uh, and and it it also is very much. Uh, like you know i mentioned john early being a recently divorced gay man most of the characters are queer um and it definitely feels like uh a, in a weird way uh a very different updated take on something like the boys in the band which is sort of like a um uh, a, a portrait of queer community quote-unquote from inside the community that recognizes that the things uh, there are things that band queer people together but there are also um a lot of uh personalities and trauma that turn uh toxic at the same time um fantastic movie you know uh there are people who it won't be for because it's um like I said, the characters are so <laughs> un unpleasant. But um, if so, if that bothers you, stay away. But I found it uh, to be terrific and just lightning paced, uh, and, and just endless forward momentum. Hold on. Okay, next up, <clears throat> Anna Fleck. Wait, do I have it right? Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. I always get their names mixed up. Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, uh, who are probably best known. If you ask me for half Nelson, but then they also made Captain Marvel. Uh, 
they uh, have, I guess, reteamed for an anthology movie called Freaky Tales that is very much, it's set in 1987 Oakland, uh, but it feels like a post-1994 um, uh, movie that's, it's, it's, like I said, it's an anthology, but they overlap and ultimately they kind of culminate um, in in the same uh, place, or, or at least most of them do. Uh, like I said, it's called Freaky Tales. Tales. It's very much a hey, we're from Oakland and we love Oakland movie, which is which which I'm I'm all for. I love uh, local pride and, and local color. It's also uh, very specifically uh anti neo-nazi they're um in in each of the four stories in ways uh small or sometimes very very big um there are neo-nazi protagonists the movie is also an alternate history that plays with real events um uh um that actually happened and then adds sort of supernatural elements, uh, in, and uh, sort of, again, Tarantino wish, wish fulfillment type of, uh, type of history changing, uh, elements that, uh, I don't know. I definitely talked to, uh, the movie was well received by, I think most of the people at Sundance among the people that I tend to agree with. I think it was kind of poorly received. I can't go that far to be honest. Um, it's a fun time i thought uh and it has it has a a bunch of cameos of of people from oakland um uh but including one major one that like i don't care if it's obvious or whatever it's a it's it's a blast i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil it for you uh so yeah freaky tales it's a fun movie it's largely derivative and um it's preaching to the choir um but it's uh it's still a fun time and you got pedro pascal um is i guess probably the biggest name although ben mendelson is also in it um and jay ellis from insecure is in it if you know who he is um and a lot of younger actors as well uh freaky tales it's yeah it's a fun time that's what i can say <clears throat> next up is Jane Schoenbrunn's I Saw the TV Glow which was my most anticipated movie of the festival because as listeners know I was uh, absolutely over the moon uh, for uh, We're All Going to the World's Fair and um, I think this is even an improvement on that talent that um, says that the the not only command of tone but the curiosity about tone that was uh shown with we're all going we're all going to the world's fair like how far can we push uh in into these uh liminal spaces and in these um uh you know the 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 mindset of the uh, that's brought on by the internet and stuff like that um um, I'd, I lost my train of thought, but uh, um, that's what was happening, and we're we're all going to the World's Fair, um, and now Jane Schoenberg has shown that they also um, have emotional curiosity and emotional um, ambitions and things that they want to unlock or put on display for for audiences even if it's even if it's messy um and i saw the tv low can get very messy um it's and it has uh so justice smith plays um a uh, I guess at the beginning of the movie, he's an introverted middle schooler. Um, it's it's the mid nineties. Uh, he very sort of cautiously befriends a high schooler named Maddie, played by Bridget Lundy Payne. 
um, uh, who is like their character is in ninth grade in 1996, which I was in ninth grade in 1996. So this is uh, right in my uh, in in my wheelhouse. Um, and together, these two are obsessed with a sort of WB Network supernatural show, very obviously heavily indebted to uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but also other. Uh, I don't know, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh, I didn't watch that, but that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, then there becomes... You know, I imagine that there are people who will approach this movie by decoding it. And I don't think, unlike something like... It has a lot in common with something like Lost Highway. Um, but... Unlike the unlike Lost Highway, I actually do think there's a pretty clear way to decode what happens. Uh, Bridget Lindy Payne's character disappears for a long time and comes back and has some uh, beliefs and information uh, that uh, she tries to pass on to Justin Justice Smith's character, uh, and you know the 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 question of what's real and what's not uh, comes up and and. Uh, and if it satisfies the viewer to say that I like, you know, you like or understand the movie because you understand what it's, what what is happening in it, um, this won't be that difficult. The one to, 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 uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? God, I'm tired. <laughs> to solve. But uh, what is, what sticks with me is Jane Shunburn's emotional urgency um, and the instinctive way that they uh, create visuals or piece together uh, various scenes, both scenes like, you know, like I said, like what's real and what's not. There is the quote-unquote real world, but then there's also the world inside Justice Smith's head, but then there's also the world of the TV show and um, the connections that Jane Shunburn makes through... Uh, editing feel like I said like there's just something instinctive and, and and urgent it just feels like this feels like one of those movies that you can tell the artist behind it had had to make this um, who knows who knows what would have happened but the movie is a little you know, it's it's seductively beautiful in, in a lot of the way the same way that we're all going to the world's fair uh was with its kind of uh i mean the title i saw the tv glow is is um not just a clever title that is uh uh a lot of how the movie um uh, uh looks is is as though it's bathed in that sort of you know 90s would that be like a cathode ray uh, TV? I don't know. Maybe that's older. Um, Pre-plasma, I guess is what I'm saying. Pre-LED uh, TV glow. Uh, there's also some fantastic effects, and which I which I don't mean like it's fucking like ILM or Weta level like effects. What I mean, they're clearly like. I mean, the movie has a bigger budget than we're all going to the world's fair did, but you can tell the limitations of the budget and Jane Schumer uses them very well where the, the, the there's CGI that is very clearly CGI, but something about that obviousness makes it even more creepy. Um, uh, yeah, I, I haven't even mentioned the movie is, has, is scary, has scary, uh, parts like we're all going to the world's fair, you know, could be classified as a horror movie. I think this one, uh, would earn that too, but, um, there are, there's been a lot of discussion about the movie's analogies or metaphors um, for um, like body or gender dysmorphia, um, and I I think obviously I'm I'm very cis. I'm like boringly cis, uh, <laughs> uh, so I haven't experienced any of that and i would never claim to understand but i think uh i saw the tv glow um is does does more than anything i've ever read about that 
to impart uh, a how awful and suffocating and torturous uh, body dysmorphia and gender dysmorphia can be, um, but also in a way that I don't think I'd ever really seen laid out before how terrifying the uh the 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 prospect of outing yourself or transitioning can be um you, you know they um trans people use the term dead name to refer to uh their their former name um before coming out and before transitioning um and this this movie does kind of make me understand why they would use that and why like no matter how much you want to be your true self there is also a self that you've created that you kind of have to kill off maybe um and that that is terrifying there is a kind of death that is undergone in uh the process and um i i just there are there's been you know more and more over the past decade there's been more and more media about trans people and and um it's been wonderful it's obviously been very instructive for people like me who like i said uh just irritatingly cis um uh but that a lot of it has just been has been just that just in, in instructive um aimed at at least partially aimed at a cis audience and i saw the tv glow feels like it's made um by someone in the uh in a non-traditional part of the gender gender spectrum um for other people in their in their shoes and in 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 uh in a way it's all the more instructive for that um so yeah it was my most anticipated movie going into the festival and is absolutely my favorite movie of the festival and which really sucks for the next movie it's really a bummer that i went straight to this other movie because i really disliked sam and andy zucchero's or zucchero's love me um love me is a post-human science fiction movie in which uh a sort of a, a buoy floating in the ocean of a an earth that's no longer inhabited by humans uh that is equipped with artificial intelligence and um internet connectivity is still floating out there hundreds of years after mankind has either all perished or left the planet uh and it's still out there you know beeping and dinging and booping and floating and stuff and uh manages to just happens to connect with a passing satellite um who is also artificially intelligent and um stores a lot of uh, human internet history i guess uh, human it stores all of human history via the internet um which i think well i'm kind of getting ahead of myself myself but i think that is kind of the point of the movie that it ends up making pretty clumsily um so Kristen Stewart voices the buoy. Stephen Yeun voices the satellite. Um, they connect and then they use the internet. Essentially, what the what's still left over from all these centuries later, centuries before, to concoct personae, um, and they have a love story, um, and where I think the movie the movie is trying to I think make a point about constructed personas um and how uh how they aren't real uh but then it 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 can't seem to see a solution other than the internet 
so they become real by looking on the same internet they looked at to make themselves unreal uh but in addition to i mean this is that's almost nitpicking com- compared to like the movie itself is just so obnoxious um uh, and and so pleased with itself and it's sort of i i guess uh visual uh ingenuity or i guess that's what it would say that it because uh, it imagines physical spaces for um avatars that look like kristen stewart and steven yun um to inhabit so these scenes aren't just like uh a boy a buoy and a satellite you know blipping and beeping at each other they're actual human characters as it goes on uh, inhabiting a space um and it just all felt a little too pleased with itself a little too pat and a little too like late model pixari um which obviously wally is a clear uh reference point here uh but yeah that was a, a real a real bummer uh for me all right moving on to the next day uh saw a fantastic movie called DD D-I-D-I, directed by a guy named Sean Wang, and it is a uh, coming-of-age movie, which, I mean, those are, there are so many of them, um, uh, but the format endures for obvious reasons. It's, it's, it's universal, um, and it's also specific to each person, and that's, you know, that's Battleship Retention's sweet spot, uh, as you've, as you've heard us talk about before. Um, so, uh, in, in Didi, Didi is a, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm bad at, with kids ages, 12 year old, I don't know, he's a boy in, uh, Fremont, California in 2008, who, um, is son of, uh, Chinese immigrants, and is, uh, spends most of his days hanging out with, uh, his, other uh fuck up friends <laughs> who just fucking around these suburban neighborhoods and uh you know uh doing stuff the 12 year old boys do uh and but then a, a number of things happen um or or are on the verge of happening his older sister who's also fantastic I should look at the cast because uh Dee Dee, the, the kid and the sister are both so good in the movie. Um, uh, she's about to go off to to college. Um, oh, this is 13-year-old Taiwanese-American. See, I'm, I don't know anything. Uh, so, yeah, Isaac Wang uh, plays the main character, Chris, and the older sister is played by Shirley Chen, and their mother is played by the great Joan Chen. Uh, so yeah, the sister's about to go off to college, uh, in the meantime, Chris, um, is crushing on a girl for the first serious time, and also he has, um, managed to run into, with, to some slightly older skateboarder kids, um, in his, in his hobby of shooting his shooting videos of his friends doing dumb shit and putting it on YouTube sort of par- parlays its way into, or he, he parlays it into uh, shooting skate videos for these older kids. And so there's a touch of Jonah Hill's mid nineties here of this like young kid hanging out with these uh, more mature, but not that mature uh, skateboarders. Um, I mean, it, everything about it is clearly very personal to Sean Wang and there's a great attention to detail without it being suffocated in detail um, that is really transport transportive not only into you know 2008 Fremont California but also into the shoes and behind the eyes of of this kid and all the things that are uh, recognizably universal to or recognizable to me as someone who was a 12 year old boy in the suburbs but or 13 year old I guess it says in the suburbs but also the things that are very specific to being 
the the son of of immigrants and and and, and things like that. Uh, so it's got all the ingredients and it really knocks it out of the park. It's a, it's a fantastic coming of age movie. Um, then I went to see the Zellner's new movie, uh, the Zellner brothers, new movie, Sasquatch sunset. Um, and it's got, you know, I guess hook, or at least it's got, not in the movie, but I guess in the description of the movie, it's about a family of Sasquatches, um, two of whom are played by Riley Keough and Jesse Eisenberg, um, but they're not really that recognizable. Uh, I mean, Riley Keough, is, you could tell who she is because there's only one female Sasquatch in the movie, so uh, that's pretty clear. But um, uh, And it's an entire you know 90-minute movie um, with no dialogue because Sasquatches don't speak English. They mostly just grunt it at, at one another. Um, and it's there's a lot of dumb shenanigans and humor a quote-unquote humor that is not my kind of uh humor unfortunately there are also some other incidents that are um kind of there's at least one actually sequence that is like harrowing and tragic and in the way of like a the way you know of, of a weird way uh, like a weird comparison to like incredible journey <laughs> or something like that. Um, uh, but other than that, it, I, I, I don't want to talk. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I want to avoid spoilers, but there's also no way for me to talk about what the movie is really about. Um, not that it's really a spoiler, but, uh, I mean, you 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 get the you get the sense as it goes along that these this family of Sasquatches might be the only ones left, or might be one of the few left. Um, and uh, the the problem is that the the movie is too into its like silly. Let's watch these like humans in like fairly convincing. Uh, simian costumes uh, behave like animals that it kind of takes until the very end of the movie to actually find some poignancy in the idea of these this animal being close to extinction and make the correlation to uh, the increasingly obvious truth that we are all living on a dying planet and humanity ourselves don't have that much, uh, more time. Uh, it's, I, I respect the effort, but, uh, it's, it's mostly just pretty boring up until the very end and it's not enough to, uh, to redeem itself. Um, so, uh, Next up is a Norwegian movie that multiple people described as a uh, reunion between Worst Person in the World co-stars Renata Reinsvi and Andrews Jameson Lee. Um, and it is true that they're both in this movie. It's called Handling the Undead. It's directed by Thea uh, Vissendahl. And, uh, but they don't have any scenes together. Um, the movie is not... Uh, the movie is apparently it's based on a novel by the same person who wrote the novel that let the right one in is based on. And that does not surprise me at all because again, it is a take on a familiar supernatural monster type of trope. Uh, it's a zombie movie as the handling the undead might be, uh, should make clear, but it's mostly very domestic in its settings um and not there's not like a lot of action horror there is some horror there is some blood and gore as it goes on uh 
but not kind of what you have come to expect from the like post George Romero zombie movie. Um, it basically it tells three different stories of uh, people who have recently lost someone in their lives, and then for whatever reason the zombie thing happens, and some people who like recently died come back but of course not themselves they're fucking zombies but of course this isn't Shaun of the dead this doesn't take place in a world where people know what zombies are like a lot of zombie movies uh people are like just like what the like what is going on um but they're they're less scared and they're more just like in whatever way this person that i love is back and they're trying I think this is the movie's central poignancy is this uh, and, and human universal tragedy is that they're trying to reclaim something that can't be reclaimed and ignoring the obvious signs that this is not going to be what they want it to be. You know, that might be your son at home laying in his bed, uh, in only the most technical sense, but I mean, look at his fucking face. It's all rotted off and shit. Um, uh, that's clearly not, uh, what you want it to be. Um, the movie is very slow moving, very quiet. Uh, sometimes I do think a little bit too slow, to be honest. I mean, I'm not normally one to complain about movies being slow. I like slow movies. Uh, but I do think there's a lot, um, of, wasted time uh or maybe not a lot because more of more than not i like the movie but i do think it's a little there's a little uh, sometimes it goes too long with the lack of it, lack of incident uh but then it does kind of make up for that by having some pretty brutal um upsetting horrifying stuff happen <clears throat> uh yeah not a not a home run by any means but definitely a fascinating movie handling the undead uh next up so um most of what I see at Sundance are movies that are premiering at Sundance, even though I'm not attending the premieres anymore. But they also have a, uh, a section they call the Spotlight section, which they play stuff that is played other festivals but hasn't yet been released in the U.S., <clears throat> which means I jumped at my chance to see Richard Linklater's Hitman, Hit, Hitman before it comes out um, on Netflix later this year. Um... And, uh, just, it's just amazing, Hitman. It's very loosely inspired by a true story of a guy who was not a cop who, uh, found work basically going undercover, undercover as a pretend Hitman to try and entrap, as some people would, 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 uh, accuse, uh, people who wanted to hire a hitman to to kill someone uh you know um and, and sort of arrest them for a sort of arrest them and arrest them for uh attempted murder uh like i said that's the premise uh, most of the stuff i think that happens in the movie did not happen to the real uh guy whose name is gary johnson he's played by glenn powell who's fantastic in the movie um and uh uh, the the story really starts off um, proper or, or kicks off proper when uh, he meets one of these people who's trying to have someone killed, but he talks her out of it because he loves her so much. Um, and she's played by Adria Arjona, who um, was in Triple Frontier. She's been in a few things. Um the Belko experiment. I actually remember her in that, even though I didn't like that movie very much. Uh, and the two of them together, Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, the chemistry, my God, I'll tell you, it's insane. Um, they, uh, uh, they, they fall in lust with one another as either any of us would, uh, confronted with these two personalities and physiques, uh, and faces. Um, and their chemistry means we are on their side, both as a couple and in whatever might come, uh, uh, come up against them. And, uh, originally letter, uh, 
there's something about his style that feels like so easy. It feels like it feels like he, you know, you go into a scene going like, oh yeah, the camera's there because that's where the camera would be. Kind of a, you know, basic choice. But this the as it as it builds, you you realize just how in control uh he is and how um what seemed like a basicness maybe early on is actually just a complete sense of comfort um and and confidence um in what he wants to show you and and how he wants to show it to you uh and, and at what at what uh pace i mean uh we've talked a lot on this podcast and just on, you know, film Twitter and just generally like film fans have talked about, uh, how some of the like <clears throat> star driven, competently made mid budget, uh, th- you know, rom romantic or thriller or whatever genre type movies, um, that were, so common in the nineties now, um, feel like lost treasure. Um, and, uh, Hitman is exactly that kind of movie. I would love for Netflix to give it, a an honest theatrical run. I don't know that they, that they will. Uh, but I'm so glad I saw it in a theater full of people and I hope other people get to see it that way too. It's, uh, exciting, tense, hilarious, and sexy, and um, just—it's—it's it's an absolutely just a quietly magn- magnificent achievement. Mountainous, it's amazing. Uh, okay, moving on. To, oh no, yeah, another bummer for me was um, Susanna Fogel's winner. I'm a Susanna Fogel fan. I love Life Partners, and I um, I liked Cat Person, which I saw at Sundance last year. Uh, winner is based on the, the story of reality winner, the uh, NSA contractor turned whistleblower, uh, leaker, whatever you want to call her. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, uh, yeah, I like Susanna Fogel up until then. Uh, reality winner is played by Amelia Jones from the aforementioned Coda and the aforementioned Cat Person, and I like her a lot. Uh, but this movie is like obnoxiously, like not only on reality winner's side, um, which uh, a, a lot of people are, uh, but obnoxiously insistent on her uh almost badassness or or boss b ish i don't know um yassified i think is the term i don't know i'm not i'm not cool enough to use that term but um uh it's it's really unfortunate um because you've got other you've got um Catherine newton plays her sister uh zach galifianakis plays her her father um you've you've got a, a good cast here uh, uh oh yeah connie Britton is her mother connie fucking Britton is in this movie and still couldn't save it from just being a little too obnoxious with its like uh, uh like its voiceover especially when she's like uh, you know at the beginning it does the like it's very much like i bet you're wondering how that's yep that's me i guess you're wondering how i got myself into that situation not that literally but it's that type of thing where she's like uh i leaked uh nsa documents yeah they don't like it when you do that it's something like that it's uh really obnoxious and the whole movie kind of continues with that tone uh it's a real it's a real bummer, and I do think that um, making these kinds of movies over and over again is just going to uh, keep people from appreciating uh, um, how talented Amelia Jones is. Uh, 
So let's move on to... I mentioned right up top that there were two horror movies that played with points of view. Uh, the next one is Steven Soderbergh's Presence. Uh, only this one is not um, a slasher movie. This is a ghost story where the camera is the it, it, it's the ghost's point of view. It's a haunted house story about a family who move into a new home and there's already something living in it that's floating around and looking at everything. Um, and uh, it's... It's really fantastic. In fact, like the more I, the more distance I have from it, the more, the the more I I appreciate um, uh, Soderbergh's experimental like sort of willingness to um, not only take on this sort of like different point of view of a um, of a haunted house story, but also use it to do uh, different thing so the there's the family that moves in they have um they have problems um and uh the domestic drama uh is really ends up being more to the point and then it brings in other elements uh from uh, outside the immediate family, but in many ways tied up in the, you know, the daughter's relationship with her contentious relationship with her, uh, with her brother and her, um, grieving a friend and her need for connection. Um, uh, and, um, in, in a way, you know, there, there were, There were, um, where was I? Jesus. All right. Uh, sorry. I'm, I'm really, uh, thrown off here. What I was saying is there were reports of people like being, like thinking the movie was too intense and not being able to handle it. And, um, uh, uh, walking out of, of, of the movie, um, and now and that was before I saw it. I read those and watching it. Like the movie is not the ghost stuff is not what's really scary about the movie. There are other things that that happen, uh, and I'll bet that the people who found the movie too intense probably had nothing to do with the ghost stuff. Uh, but yeah, I guess I think I'm getting tired. And that's why I keep losing my train of of, of thought. But uh, uh, fantastically well acted. Um, uh, I mean, uh, Lucy Liu and Chris Sullivan play the parents. The uh, kids are played by Eddie Madej and uh, Kalina Liang. Uh, Kalina Liang is, uh, as the movie goes on, I would say the lead um, as the fo- as the story focuses more on her. Uh, re- a, a really great domestic drama, a new way of telling a uh, domestic drama and, you know... Uh, a sibling drama and a you know dealing with your first uh loss of a loved one type of drama it's um really well done and i, and I as i said as as it goes on as time goes on i get i'm more and more impressed when i think of of what he did uh what what soderbergh did um okay home stretch here uh and i'm sorry that i'm like losing steam because i've got a really good movie to talk about in a bit but first i'm going to talk about a perfectly fine movie called realm of satan a documentary um that was i guess made with the uh cooperation of the church of satan in fact was their backers of it i i think um and uh uh this movie this documentary is not an interview-based talking head type of, like, here's how the Church of Satan is. It's just a series of tableau, really, of of the uh, Scott Cummings setting up the camera and lighting a situation and letting the people do their satanic thing. Um, and they're playing to the camera very much. Uh, and um, some of it is... 
uh, like really fucking cool and metal. Uh, but a lot of it, especially as it goes on, I, I think is kind of poking fun at these guys, these men and women that like they think they're dangerous and cool, but they are really just a bunch of incredible dorks. <laughs> but I, but I, like, I still don't think the movie dislikes them or that Cummings dislikes them. I think he finds them charming, and I find them charming too. Uh, but it does, he does add some effects at, at, you know, at, at, at points, um, that make it seem like he's like some badass effects, like a car leaving a trail of flames behind, but it's like badass in a way that a dorky guy would think was badass. And I think that's, there's an awareness there. Um, uh, but then the movie also has, especially in the early going, some really fascinating stuff. You watch a live goat, watch a goat give birth. I mean, that's, uh, you thought I was going to say something. I was a movie about Satan is Satanists. And I said, watch a goat get or whatever. You thought I was going to say something else, but no, you watch a goat give birth on camera. Um, uh, there's, there's a lot of fascinating stuff and it's very well staged. These, these various tableau, um, but I, I also think some of the silliness keeps it from being as impactful as it should. But also the silliness is kind of part of the point, I guess. Um, uh, oh, okay. We're on to my last movie. And guess what? After I saw the TV Glow and Hitman, this is my the third in my top three. And this is India Donaldson's good one. Uh... This is a story of a, uh, like, I think she's supposed to be 18, 18-year-old girl, um, who, whose parents are divorced, uh, she is spending a camping weekend with her father, played by James LeGro, uh, and you get the impression this is something they've done, uh, multiple times over the course of their lives, this is a thing they do together, they're supposed to be going with, or they are going with... James LeGros' friend, um, whose name is Danny. The actor's... I gotta look it up. It's Danny something. He was on um, Somebody Somewhere, if if any of you watched that uh, uh, short-lived and uh, much-missed HBO series. Danny McCarthy. Um, And he is very very recently divorced. Uh, And so it's... A uh, sort of not quite meandering, but a leisurely place, leisurely paced story of an eighteen-year-old girl and two divorced guys in their fifties, uh, tromping through the woods and camping, and you know, there's plenty of uh, fantastically naturalistic performances and dialogue. A lot of it funny. Um, uh, a, a lot of the different sort of points of view of like um, how how a guy who has just been divorced sees himself and how he is seen by someone you know 35 years younger who uh, um, is also the child of divorce themselves uh, there's some good character stuff there's some comedy as as well uh and the movie is just so there's such intimacy and um such curiosity uh about the characters and also such a willingness to let us be curious and to um give us the space to to observe these characters to uh maybe come up with some answers or to our our um our our curiosities um uh the 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 differences uh, i i to me what it comes down to is the difference between like an 18 year old is at the beginning of a new chapter in their life and has a lot of possibilities a recently divorced person also beginning of a new chapter in their life and but but might not have as many possibilities as they think they do 
um, in in front of them uh, because yeah, uh, not only are they older, but times have changed, and they uh, maybe don't uh, understand how everything works in the world anymore. And, and all of this comes through without any sort of big speech scene or explanation or or thesis statement. This is all uh, woven into the dialogue and the silences, and um, it's uh, it's really just beautiful um the uh the main girl is put by lily collius um and then i mentioned james little and danny mccarthy those are the main characters in the movie um and uh i the last thing i guess i'll say about it is that it, it feels there feels like there's something a little bit tragic about the way that Sam, this girl, no matter how much she knows about her dad and maybe the ways in which he can't ever be the person she would like him to be, because he's her dad, she she can't stop hoping he'll be that. The, the the movie is just absolutely lovely and um and and beautiful and uh also i would say there are parts that are very upsetting as well that i don't want to uh get too deep into because i want people to uh discover them and, and have their own reaction to them the way that i do but uh that i did uh but that's the last one that I saw. So glad I got to go to Sundance again. Thank you for listening to me prattle on for an hour. And to the guy who doesn't like it when I say um and uh, I'm sorry. Uh, this was not an episode for you. Um, that guy's probably not listening anymore, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can find... Hopefully I'll get some reviews up uh, of these movies. Uh, until then, take these as the reviews. Uh, and you can find... You'll be able to find them at battleshippretension.com. You can uh, find my other podcast, the one where I met your mother there. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Davey Pretension. Email me at uh, David at battleshippretension.com. Follow me on Letterboxd at David Bax. And uh, yeah, other than that, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time.